Jackie Robinson on. He's back in. And there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Giuliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. It's time! Hello, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Downhill Second Half Podcast. As ever, with me, Ian DL, is a man cooler in a control-alt-delete situation than Dean Sinclair in a one-on-one with a goalkeeper. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. Thank you very much. And complimenting him perfectly alongside him there is the greatest chilled-out entertainer since Dwayne Lee was casually gliding up and down the underhill slope. It's Mr. Craig Clayton. Means are getting worse every time you do them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm delighted to say we've got another fantastic guest uh, with us for today's show. The man who undoubtedly would have been the answer to England's left-sided problem at the turn of the century, if only they'd been looking in the right place. It's the king on the underhill wing, Darren Curry. Good evening, gents. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Darren. Um, obviously, now the Barnet manager as well, which we've not mentioned there, but... We will come to that a bit later on, um, but no for the most part of this podcast, we want to kind of take you back a couple of decades to your time playing for the Bees. Okay, let's do it. Very good. Uh, if we can kick off, before you uh, joined the club, before you uh, played for Barnet, what was your awareness of the club? What was your sort of relationship with it um, at that point? I mean, I was aware of it. I wouldn't say there was a relationship as such, but my dad... Uh, was a player. Obviously, my uncle gets the headlines being an England international and everyone's familiar with Tony, but my dad was actually uh, a decent player who spent all his playing days in non-league. So, uh, Saturday afternoon as a kid was always going around with my old man and um, going to various different non-league grounds all over the country. So, I, I've, I, I had visited Barnet as a young boy following my dad. Um, the relationship never really started until, obviously, I played there and, and still he took over and still he was aware of me as a young boy at West Ham and, you know, kept tabs on me and then brought me to, to Barnet when there was an opportunity. And uh, obviously, yeah, you made a great start to your Barnet career. You scored a goal on your debut at Darlington um, and then uh, and your home debut was against Wolves as well in the League Cup at Underhill. That goal was on Twitter the other day, a really good strike. Um that that first season was for the club a little bit a, a little bit of an underachievement perhaps given the year before they were in the playoffs. Um, uh, for, for you personally, obviously coming into that side, did it feel like it was a side that were on a bit of a decline, maybe with a bit of a hangover from the previous season, or, or did they just underachieve for whatever reason? Um, I suppose whenever you whenever you don't get promoted, you can class it as an underachievement, can't you? Because we all set out with the same goals in pre-season, so, and, and I'm sure that's what the target was that season, like it is every season, even even now Now I'm in charge. It, that's what we set out to achieve. But um, I don't know. I mean, when I, when I got there and I, and I see the types of players that I was playing with, you know, I, I thought, I didn't necessarily think that last season was an underachievement because I wasn't there. But certainly going forward, I looked at the squad and certainly, you know, being a wide man, looking at the likes of McLeish and who I've known all my life anyway and, and Ken Charlery and that, I I was excited 
about the possibilities of us having a, a good season going forward. Yeah, we, we when we were talking about um, sort of uh, what the nineties were like for football, we uh, we thought about the sort of the glamour that was sort of around football in the nineties. Obviously, you had the Premier League getting into its into its stride, and Euro ninety six in this country, uh, and you sort of had the height of lad culture, soccer AM, celebrity footballers, and obviously Barnet was sponsored by Loaded at the time. Uh, what did you sort of uh, understand about the, or how did you get swept up in the uh, sort of the glamour side of the 90s? And uh, and what was it like having the sort of all the Loaded stuff around the club at the time? Just trying to remember if I was single. <laughs> um because I actually met my wife while I was at Barnet, so I better be careful. <laughs> she, she used to work in the first field centre in Potter's Bar where we trained. Yeah, yeah. When I first signed, yeah, I went with her. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be honest, there was only listen. It was a, it was a, a lads mag at the time, wasn't it? And it was and it was you know you can call it glamorous if you like, but you know there was only the the odd occasion that there was some sort of function that we was invited to it was more a thing for the club so um you know it was it was nice having it sort of as your sponsor but we didn't really take too much from it just the just the odd party i'd say you know and there were there were one or two but no it was listen you, you talk about the 90s and that when i when i signed for barnet and and you think about how much football's changed in the modern world and it's obviously going to change again after lockdown but when I first signed for Barnet it was it was about wingers and, and big centre forwards who want to get on the end of crosses and that and the game's changed a lot um, since then and there's but that was that was the thing back in the day so you know it's 4-4-2 have a winger on either side um, or have one that works hard on one side and have a lazy one on the other side should I say <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and 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 it was it was a good time to be a winger, and obviously, you know, I think it, everyone's aware I've been a Beckham fan, um, and and Bex at the time was was playing, and he was all about crosses and what have you, and and it was a big part of my game. So it was a it was a great time to be a winger, but like I say, I think the game's moved on and 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 changed somewhat since then. Yeah, I mean, because we, we were talking beforehand, and yeah, that we I think we said in our last episode that the line came out that uh, Darren Curry made Barnet glamorous uh, in that era with with the whole look, um, just to kind of prove a bit of evidence that it won't work perfectly on the audio. But little picture here of uh, <laughs> mascot with you, Darren. My hair was already receding at eleven years old. Um, oh wow! Well, look, you've got your uh, you've got your predators on. You've got your highlights. Mm. That is kind of that that Beckham esque look. Uh, was definitely. Listen, a I was trying my absolute hardest to emulate <laughs> him. Don't worry about that. But I, I tried to look like Bex, but I ended up more like Rod Stewart. I had people singing <laughs> Rod Stewart songs when I was playing. In a, a, you know, I've quoted it before. People singing bloody Kajagoogoo songs to me while I was <laughs> taking corners and what have you. Um, but I just, I just had these highlights, and to be fair, I didn't even go to the hairdressers. My mum used to do it. I used to stick that bloody. <laughs> It was like a condom. I used to stick on the top of my hair <laughs> through all my hair, whack on some bleach for like ever. And I've come out with this white mop on the top of my head. But, you know, it was it was a bit of a statement. It was just to I got told by someone when I was young, like, you've got to be you've got to get yourself noticed. So I went obviously to the extreme and had a 
sloppy bright white air cup. Well, I'm sort of talking of which, um, and listen, I'm going to tell a story now, which you a definitely won't remember any more than you remember the photo that Ian just showed you. But um, but um, it was about that time. So I was probably about ten or eleven, and I had the uh, the old Barnet tracksuit again. Unfortunately, made by a company called Beaver, which was never uh, too well received in the playground or anywhere like that. But um, but nonetheless, yeah. I had that I had that tracksuit. Loaded gave you a little bit more status, but. Um, Anyway, I, was, I used to wear this tracksuit everywhere. I, I loved it. And um, one day I was in uh, McDonald's in North Finchley with my mum and uh, two other people walked in there wearing the same tracksuit. And I, uh, I thought, no, it can't be. It can't, it can't. Surely, I mean, who else has got, you know, it's got to be one of the players. It started a trend. And I, <laughs> that's, what, that's never and happened. That, that was my first never. thought. And then, <laughs> then my second thought. Uh, so I, I walked up and had a little look. And if and I, I really, really want you to just tell me this could be true because it's how I remember it. But I, I have a recollection of it being you and John Doolan that, that came in there and got yourself a McDonald's back then, which I like to think it was. But um, well, there's a chance it could be right because Dooley weren't the smallest player I've ever played with, <laughs> so there's every chance he wanted a McDonald's. But. Me trying to be a bit of a cool dude and that, I don't know that I'd have been walking around in my beaver tracksuit. So <laughs> there's, there's a possibility, that, but I, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair enough. I, mean, it'd be, it would, I would much prefer to tell a story how he bumps into you in a pub or something like that, but that, that wasn't as it was. But one of the things I wondered about that was at that kind of time, you're playing in Division 3, football has become a bit more high profile, it's a bit more interesting. I suppose on a Saturday afternoon and in, in certain places, you're a hero to, to how many hundreds of thousands, hundreds or thousands, not hundreds and thousands of Barnet, but hundreds and thousands of, of, of people. Um, is, is it a weird thing flipping from being a hero on a Saturday afternoon to being a fairly regular guy uh, walking through the streets or did you always get noticed? What, what was it, it kind of like? I've considered myself a bit of a regular bloke. Anyway, I know I make the the odd statement with me air and, and, you know, I've I've always been quite outspoken when I've been at clubs and what have you. But I've always considered myself quite an approachable person. I mean, if you, if you, I mean, me and the boys used to go out on a, on a Saturday night in Watford a lot. Um, And, you know, if even now as a manager, if fans come up and they want to talk and, and, talk football now I can talk football all night long so you know I, I consider myself quite an approachable person and, and, and easy to talk to um, and do you know what the, the only I mean the, the good thing about my playing days a lot of the time it was it was uh, the conversations if not every time was really positive because I enjoyed my time there and, and, and obviously I think the fans enjoyed what I'd done there and, and how I played. Um, now, some of my conversations are a little bit different because I'm responsible for the results of the team. So, some of my com- conversations with fans are not, they're never, they're never nasty, even when, even when I've had a, walked over to the fans after a couple of crappy games. It, you know, they're just passionate people that want to talk and want answers as to why things are going the way that they are or whatever. But I've always, my relationship with you guys and, and the fans at Barnet has always been pretty solid. So I, I presume that stems from my playing days, obviously. Do you always find uh, when you were playing that 
shouts from the terraces, either from your own supporters or opposition supporters, would be, uh, did you ever like sort of take them to heart, or were they ever like anything a bit too much, or or was it just uh, something you just like water off a duck's back for you? No, I was I was a bit like water off a duck's back. Like you, you're going to be a target. I set myself up with a bloody sloppy haircut <laughs> and and the latest boots that eventually you could get them in all colours, couldn't you? White and bloody yellow. I wore all cut. So you set yourself up as a bit of a target. Anyway, I like the the banter and the rapport you have with opposing fans and your own fans. Even referees back in the day, you could you could pardon my French, but you could fuck them off once in a while as well, and they would they'd give it back to you about hold on a minute, you you playing crap yourself and you know and I like that side of it I'm a bit more protective now as a manager over some of my boys because I know their personality and I know that some of them you might actually they might crumble a little bit me personally give it to me I'll give it back to you and we move on very quickly do you know what I mean but like I say some of our boys at the minute can be a little bit we're we're just all different aren't we do you think that's got something to do with the um the kind of the era you came through in terms of it, because obviously I know you're at West Ham, um, obviously Martin Allen, who's well-known to Barnet fans, Martin Allen, Julian Dix, characters like that, you were around, I suppose, if you're on the fringe of the first team in the mid-90s there. Um, do you think that maybe had something to do with that, as opposed to players now where the culture is maybe so different? Um, <clears throat> I think it's obviously different with social media. That, 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 that goes about saying, like, you see the players and, it's like an addiction, isn't it? You come off the pitch and if you've won, you can't wait to get to your phone and everyone's going, yeah, well done. But if you've lost, you, you're sort of looking for it through closed eyes because you're thinking, who's going to have a go at me? And that, and, and I get that even now as a manager. And, but we didn't have that back in the day. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I've all, Rightly or wrongly, I, I always say to my players now, there's a, there's a very fine line between like being confident and being arrogant. And I probably flick between the two at times I was sometimes probably very confident and other times I might have come on on the pitch should I say I might have come across as quite arrogant but my personality is and I think you might see this now as a manager I back myself and and I don't uh, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that I back myself and rightly or wrongly I think it's the right way to be. There's enough other people that are going to knock me and not back me. So why would I do that about myself? I, I, I don't look at it that way. Yeah, which is fair. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, so so moving on, kind of chronologically, so into the ninety nine two thousand season, um, which was almost a very special season. Definitely a memorable, remember, sorry, memorable one still, nonetheless. Um, I suppose the first question I want to ask about that is how good was that team? Yeah, I mean, and, and and how I compare it, how I compare that team or that season, should I say, with my other experiences uh, in my playing days and then even now, most recently this season, like after the Woking game, for example, um, you just got a sense of confidence from the team that whenever we sort of turned up to a game, you could only see us winning or you could only see something positive because everywhere you looked, there was players that were good at what their job, you know? And I see that in other teams that I played in through, through my career. And like I say, I see it now. I mean, I'm so gutted that the season come to an end, but obviously 
health and welfare and all that is is most important. But I just got a feeling after the Woking game that the boys started to believe that it was gonna they were gonna go on a run and, and we were gonna be hard to stop. And you could just sense by the by the mood in the in the changing room and, and in the on the bus and what have you. Um and and I had that feeling I had that feeling with with the team that I played in. When you think I mean look we, you you may touch on it as as we go on, but you know, I've been after Paul McCallum for bloody ever because a, a, a centre forward that pretty much guarantees you goals as Big John was here when the, when the boys got promoted a few years back you need you need a number nine that's going to pretty much guarantee you goals and, and back in the day we had Marlon McLeish and Ken Charlery do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. How, so, uh, how, how good was Marlon King at Barnet? Because obviously he didn't his record at, at the club and obviously we saw him and that was his, his goals per record wasn't outstanding. Obviously, you could see the potential and he went on to do really well. Was he clearly like destined for big things at the time? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was clearly. It was, he was a very good player. And I think, I think because he was powerful and he was quick and he had an eye for goal, um, he had that little... You think... So you think back to football in them days, it was a bit more aggressive, a bit more contact... And for him to be a young man, he was quite arrogant, had a chip on his shoulder, used to fight with the centre-halves and what have you. I mean, nowadays, he'd probably bully most centre-halves because they're not, they're, not, they're not designed to be so aggressive, are they? So yeah. back in the day, you, I can understand why people looked at him and thought for a young boy, there's something in there because he did have ability. I mean, he was a chirpy little sod and, you know, he was a bit lively and he, he rubbed a few people up the wrong way. but. Me personally, and I have it now with with some of our boys. I like to see someone like Josh Walker, who's got that little swag about him, got that little chip on his shoulder that says, "No, nah, I'm too good to be. I want to go on. I don't mind that." And Marlon had that. Like I think Josh has got that little little arrogant streak in him now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I remember certainly standing behind the goal on the North Terrace. Marlon King taught me a few new words as a kid. Listening uh, <laughs> to him in full flow with some of the centre backs, like you mentioned, I can clearly remember one or two times of that. Um, in that side, obviously, like I say, that you know, a lot, a lot of real fan favourites, and a few players who had quite lengthy careers relatively at Barnet in that time. Um, who were the kind of big characters in that in that team that year? So when I so when I think about walking in the change room, you had, I mean, when I first signed there, you had someone like Fordy, Big John yeah. Ford, right? Who, who was just crazy. What a crazy man he was, <laughs> by the way. Like, and if we ever had a, had a drink after the game and that, he just got worse with a couple of beers in him. He was he was a crazy man. But you know, I was I was, and I might be mixing teams up here, but people like Michael Basham and Tony Richards, I'd come through the youth ranks at West Ham with. So I knew them and they were big personalities, big characters. Um, and I've got, obviously I'm still very pally. Two of my best mates is Warren Goodine and Stockley. So, you know, they were, they were young boys with not maybe big characters, but confident boys and, and good players. McLeish has always been chirpy. Like he, he can always talk for England or Scotland in his case. Um, 
Ken Charlery, you know, been around, done it, knew what Greg Eald, do you know what I mean? Just wanted to eat centre forwards. Um, so there was everywhere you turned, there was big personalities. And it was a bit more, and I have to keep jumping between eras, but it was a bit more of a sink or swim situation back in the day. Like nowadays, everyone sort of keeps themselves to themselves, a little bit more private. You know, just go about their work and that, and and you have to you have to try and generate that sort of togetherness and that atmosphere. Um, but back in the day, like it was, you know, there was big personalities everywhere that you you walk in you walk in the change room and you had a dodgy pair of jeans on, you had half of them coming for you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> do, you, do you think we miss something about that in today's era? Where I guess it's a little bit harder for players to maybe socialise in the same way that they would have with social media and generally probably being, I won't say necessarily fitter, but certainly it's not as easy to go out and have 15 pints on a, on a Saturday night as maybe it might have once been possible. I, I mean, look, I think it's if it's organised properly and, you know, everyone has to go once once in a while, I think it's, I think it's crucial. I mean, it, people say old school and new school and that, but where is the arm if it's once in a while that the boys all get together and they go out and you see someone in their own gear rather, like everyone now comes in in their training kit, they train, you know, they get chains and see you later and they're off. Like, they, they, yeah. I, that togetherness where, and I tried to do it by bringing the boys in the bar because that's how it used to be at Underhill. Like you need to, you need to know about these boys' personality. You need to know that when if if a game don't go so well they, and they get in their car and drive off, you know you probably look and go, he don't give a shit. But if he comes in the bar and you get talking to him, you understand the person. You'll understand that he's a bit like how much is hurting him. And when they when you get them together like that and they can have a couple of beers, and I I, I made sure I made sure this season. We always spend a little bit of time away from the hive. We all went out in pre-season for a bite to eat and a, and a, and a Saturday night. And then every Thursday um, after payday, we, we all went to Nando's in, around the corner in the I Street. Just get them away from that environment so that they can... You know, I'm sure they've got loads of other things to talk about. So building that togetherness is important, but certainly they'd be a bit more cautious nowadays because if you go out and all of a sudden only needs, with all due respect to you guys, it only needs one of you to see them all having a drink, take a photo and, and there's a million stories that can be created from it, isn't there? Uh, no, absolutely. I, it's, I think it is difficult, but I agree with you completely that there's some, there's an importance with camaraderie and people being able to open up and see, see each other for who they are. And you don't always see that at work, whatever industry that is, I think. So I think that's an important, important part of togetherness in football. We, we spoke to Gratz, uh, Giuliano Grazioli recently, um, yeah. who played a little bit after you. But um, he talked about what Martin Allen was really good at as a manager as well. And he talked about how he would, he would make sure the players came through the, the, you know, the Durham suite, as was in our day, and, and you know, the Hive Bar, whatever you have now. Um, yeah. And how you the, the fans typically will be more invested in the, in the players and, and what's going on if they, as you, as you say, understand the personality of them, what's going on. So I, I, it worked for us in our sort of era of going to watch football. I think it's a, a really important part now as well. It's a shame, isn't it? Because it's like 
you know, you want players to show, to be able to sort of show their personalities and mix with supporters. But all it takes, like you say, Darren, is one person with a phone that takes a photo and it just gets posted on social media out of con- media out of context. And it's a shame, really, that players will sort of, it feels like they'll sort of be a little bit more guarded around people than, than, than maybe they could be based on, you know, the, 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 the uh, ills, I suppose, of social media in that respect. Yeah, but you, you see it at all levels, James, didn't you? you see, you know, any 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 footballer, celebrity or whatever, they're out of the weekend, they've had one too many, you can Photoshop and all that. You can, you, you can just be hung out to dry just for having a Saturday night out with a few of your teammates. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place, you know, if there ain't a game Tuesday, if you've just got beat, you know, you've got to screw your head on a bit. But, you know, once in a while... I, I I I do encourage the boys at the right time. Listen, you lot need to get together and have a couple of beers. Do you know what I mean? What's, there's no harm in it. Yeah, no, completely agree. I don't think you're going to get any uh, anyone on this <laughs> on this side saying that having a couple of beers every now and again isn't a good thing. Just so, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we move on with a bit more about that season, just two more individuals from the team that I think we were talking before we started. Um, we were curious about was um, Fraser Toms and Danny Brown, who both signed in that season. So it was their first season at the club um, and both started unbelievably well, but both were at the club for about three or four more years and never really hit those heights again. Just like, if, wonder if you give any insight on what they were like within the squad, um, if maybe they didn't achieve what they could have done in the game for various reasons you might have seen as a colleague of theirs. Um, well, I'm still in touch with Brownie. Funnily enough, Brownie is a Brownie is a coach now, and and a, and a good coach as well. He does he does some academy work, um, and 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 both. Now, listen, I like left footed players. They always look that they're, they're always like easier on the eye, isn't they? There's something a bit special about lefties. Um, and Fraser came in with with a decent reputation, and and Fraser was about three and a half stone wet but he was electric quick he had a wonderful left foot I think Fraser as a personality what what possibly held him back was he probably thought he was better than he was so that this is this is when I talk about the confidence about being maybe that fine line and sometimes you can tip over to be overconfident Fraser was very much Fraser only had to have one good game and he think he deserved the move. Whereas you've you got to understand, some people are fortunate to play half a dozen games to get a move. Some people have to play 100 games to get a move. That's that's football. But Fraser Fraser was, listen, confident in a nice way. Um, but probably a little bit overconfident and thought, you know, he, he maybe where he'd come from, he, he, he thought he was, he deserved to be higher, which again, I haven't got a problem with. Brownie, Brownie was another, for a young boy, powerful, like loved the tackle, absolutely loved smashing people. I think he, I think he done a little bit of boxing when he finished playing as well, because he's that type of East End boy, like don't mind a little row and a tear up and that. <laughs> he's always good to have on your side, I'll, I'll be <laughs> honest. Um, but both of them should have really gone on and, and, and done better for themselves with what they had. Maybe, maybe, and, and this is, and this is in no way knocking Stilly because I, I, I've been around him enough to appreciate and understand how he plays. 
maybe they could have excelled in a in a team that played a different brand of football. You know, especially as a midfielder, when you know, listen, I'm not talking out of turn, but still, he didn't want people getting on the ball and being spending too much time with it. It was all about getting it forward quick. So maybe the the, the style of football slightly held them too back, but certainly. You know, you you mentioned it. Every every player you mentioned from that team were good characters, good people, and good players as well. And I've probably I've probably missed out. We've probably missed out six or seven as well. But certainly, them two boys should have gone on and done better for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was a great team. Let's say for me personally, that was my first season going to Underhill, um, and I just completely fell in love with it. I think majorly because of the team. Like I just there were a lot of very likable characters in in the side. Um, and, and I totally agree, and I see the the point of view from somebody about the football wasn't always the prettiest, and it didn't always necessarily complement some of the players that we had. The flip side to that is, and I was looking back through some of the results from that season earlier today and thinking of games I was at. You know, we beat Bournemouth 3-2 in the League Cup. That was my first ever competitive game I saw at Underhill, which was an amazing comeback. But York 6-3, the 3-1 Friday night win at Southend, 5-3 at home to Lincoln, 3-2 against... You know that Southend game? Um, was we near the top of the league when that we were top, game? I think, or we went top yeah, again with that result? It massively kicked off after that South End game. Have you? <laughs> so at South End, that route's all the tunnel is so skinny, and you have to walk past the home changing room to get to the away changing room. So yeah, we went top with that victory, didn't we? Yeah. So as soon as we walked in the change room, we had the music on full blast and we and it was a little bit spiky in the game anyway. And I don't know if you remember a centre-half for South End, a boy called Leo Rojo. Yes. yes. Yeah. yes. Now, he's probably one of the hardest guys that you could come across. <laughs> and he charged in our changing room and tried to just wreck the place because we were mate, we'd jumping and cheering and the music was <laughs> on and we were going into one because we beat them. Obviously, I was at the back. <laughs> there was people like there was people like Groovy and Ken Charlie right at the front dealing with it all so I didn't need to get involved <laughs> but yeah Leo came in and he weren't happy did that um, That I wasn't going to mention it but the home game against Southend which was about three or four weeks later that was the one I showed the picture I was mascot for um, first game of the new new millennium at Underhill that one was uh, that it kicked off in the game I don't know uh, my memory of it's a bit hazy um, as I was quite young but Greg Heald got sent off, I think, and one of their players, and my and we talked about this in one of the previous episodes. My memory is Greg Heald was sent off and then chased their player down the tunnel. I'm sure it happened. I just wonder if, as you were on the pitch... Yeah, was that uh, Martin Carruthers? Yes, yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, see, now you're saying that, that, that might be a, a response to the game at Roots Hill. Yeah. Um, now I'm piecing it all back together, but yeah, Gro- yeah, Groovy didn't need any encouragement to have it, to throw his fists around like he was he was bonkers the fella, but absolute diamond as well. And he and I remember, yeah, Carruthers got sent off first, and he was halfway off the pitch. Soon as Groovy got his red, he started running, didn't he? I remember. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm so pleased someone who else who was there and was properly there on the pitch has confirmed that story for me because for about the last 20 years I thought it happened, but, but just to confirm, so. Yeah, no, and if anything, Greg killed anyone up in my estimation uh, for that. <laughs> <laughs> for doing it. But um, yeah, no, so back back to the season. It, it, it was fantastic. You know, that point, that was January. For a few more weeks, we had a few more good results. Obviously, 
you were scoring goals for fun. Obviously, the Swans one, which we kind of have, have skipped by earlier in the season. I know everyone talks about that, and it it is something in the intro to the podcast. We've got the commentary from that goal um, as the final thing before we start speaking. If you've not heard before, um, you know it, it's an iconic goal for any Barnet fan, whether you were there or not. Yeah. Um, and you know, and a few others along the way. I remember, there's a free kick at home to Chester. I can remember being right behind the goal on the North Terrace, watching that go in. Um, right. Uh, but, you know, as a team, we were flying. We looked like you were saying, hey, kind of unstoppable. And it looked like the title or certainly a top three automatic spot was on. Um, and then we beat Cheltenham 3-2 in another decent game at home in early February. And after that, it just sort of fell apart. We lost five in a row. We didn't win for seven games. Um, and I suppose just, you know, from the other side of the white line, what what happened there? What Where, where do you think kind of it, it went wrong at that time? Well, it's hard to remember, but when you when you say stats like that, um, so this was February time, was it? Yeah, yeah. I think I think we were top or top three certainly early February. Yeah, I, listen. There's a couple of things, and I, and and I'll just speak openly. We might have been overconfident at the time. We we might have been, you know, with the with the way we was playing. We 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 quite possibly, and teams do it that that you can go into games and whatever sort of terminology you want to use, we could have maybe taken her off the ball because we were a bit overconfident. Um, sometimes, sometimes in, in John's team, because I know how he operates, they can have a little period after Christmas where they, where they maybe blow up a little bit because of how much work we do in training and, and, and pre-season and what have you and then they and then they tend to go again I know when we I know when we um, when I joined up with him at Dagenham at the back end of my career when we got promoted we had a similar sort of spell and then we kicked on again um, but no I mean losing five in a row especially with the team we had is um, I wasn't aware of that till he told me that's obviously that, that was obviously not not good stats for us and 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 Looking back now, it surprises me to with with the team we had and the form we was in to go f- five five defeats. You say there's five defeats and then six defeats and seven. We got a draw amongst it a bit later on. Well, you know that that there of it that that's obviously the period that stopped us getting automatic, isn't it? Yeah. Simply that. Yeah, and obviously then we, we we did make it to the playoffs and we got it together a bit. I think we won three in a row in April. Uh, it was a draw at home to Orient that clinched us in the playoffs of the week to spare. Um, and obviously we had Peterborough in the playoffs, which, uh, you know, not particularly happy memories for any of us there. Um, was it a case of the kind of the belief had maybe kind of gone a little bit from the from the players by that point, having been, you know, up there all season pretty much to then fall away? We, we played against the Peterborough team who we were kind of in the ascendancy and on a good run. Was it just a case of, We'd run out of steam and a bit of belief by that point. No, I don't. It, when I look back, and I would say we'd we'd had our bad period, and then we'd come come back round, and we'd we'd got ourselves in the playoffs. And I, and I know from other experiences of being in the playoffs, you know, however you find yourselves in the playoffs, whether you've dropped in because you was above it, or you've climbed in because you're underneath it, as soon as your position cemented. I know me personally, it's like, right, it's like a little cup tournament. Like now. a new start. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, all your hard work sort of done and now you've got, in, in respect of getting 
to that position. Now you've got now you've got to turn it on. Um, but I think so. It was two legs, wasn't it? And I remember obviously the the second leg speaks for itself. I mean, it's one of the best hat tricks I've, yeah. I've seen, like from Farrell. But um, in the first leg, I thought we were the better side, and I thought. You know, we we should have been leaving Underhill going into the second leg with a comfortable lead because of how we'd uh, how I felt we played in the in the first leg. But you know, there's there's not really an excuse for it. We were we were beat at their place, and they they were better than us on the night. But you know, we'd 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 earned our opportunity to get into the to the game, and and we probably looking back. Our best opportunity was to take a bigger lead to, or or, or, a, or a better result from the first leg because I felt we played well at home. Yeah, we were good in that game. I seem to remember that Farrell uh, nicked a goal or tried to nick a goal off one of the others. I can't remember who. I think it might have been Andy Clark at the time, actually, back at Peter. Andy Clark, definitely. definitely. He, yeah, I remember he tried to nick one off him and he was offside and we gave him a big laugh at Underhill. And then he pulled out, as you said, uh, <coughs> a, a an unbelievable. I don't know much about him, but I can't imagine he had too many better games than that in his career, wherever he could have been. And to, we, we played with Bert Bossu in goal that day. Um, can't remember what the circumstances were, but seven foot eight Bert Bossu, whatever size he was, big big lad, and managed to chip him as well for one of the goals. It was a a bit of a. a it felt like a bit of a freak game uh, away at Peterborough in that second leg, but um, yeah, one of those things. Listen, they're, they're so they're so deflating games like that because you you. You've, you grafted all season to get there, and we was um, and we we was a comp even with that little spell of five games. But we we was a confident team, and we always backed ourselves. And and I've walked off, I, I walked off the pitch with, with Ipswich later on in my career when we got beat by West Ham, and it is it's the most awful feeling because you know you you know you're just on the steps of of Wembley, like you you you're that close, and then it just gets taken away and. Because you know when you when you're planning playoffs, you have you have one plan that says right. If we go through, this is what's going to happen, and you know people start talking about hotels and Wembley and suits <laughs> and new track suits. And then the other plan is if we lose, get in your car, go home, and I'll let you know when preseason starts. And yeah. it's it's one extreme to the other, so it's so deflating. Yeah, you weren't going to you weren't going to turn up to um, Wembley in a beaver track suit, were you? <laughs> Not if I had my way, I'd have got the chance to get us a new one. Well, but so if we go into the 2000 to 2001 season, obviously we know it ended, but actually, if we're thinking at the start of it, it, it certainly didn't look like such a negative outcome was on the way, at least. I know that I remember the first match of the season, we played Shrewsbury at home. Uh, I think you might have scored one of the goals, beat them 3 0. And we battered them. And I remember walking out the ground with my mate saying like, oh, we'll be champions this year. You know, we lost the playoffs, but, you know, pretty much the same team. Obviously, I think Marlon King might have moved on. Yeah. Uh, and over the course of the early season, I think McLeish went to Colchester, Charlie left as well. So there were players that went out as it went on. But it, it looked like, all right, you know, we, we've had the summer, we start again. Um and we actually started the season pretty well. Like we, we were a bit inconsistent, but we were getting good results. We won three two away down at Plymouth early on. Beat Chesterfield yeah. away. I think that might have been Charlie's last goal for us in that one. Um, and so we were kind of ticking over okay on the cusp of the sort of playoffs after the Lincoln game. We were three 0 down at half time, one four three. 
Um, and then about a fortnight after that uh, is when John still moves upstairs and Tony Cotty comes in. Um, mm. I just wondered, first of all, what was that, the reaction like amongst the squad when that was kind of announced? Um, I suppose it was a, a, a bit of a shock because you just didn't see it come in. I, I mean, John, when you think, when you look back at it now, and John had, John had gone on and had another 20, 25 years as a manager. So for him to step away from the dugout at the time was like, this geezer's like football crazy. Why is he, why is he taking a back seat? Um, but maybe in a way, you know, getting getting Tony Cotty in as a player was a was a major coup for the club. Like because although although he weren't my cup of tea as a manager to play with, it was great. I mean, I think correct me if I'm wrong. He got he got double figures, and he was a real goal threat for us. Um, yeah. And he was a clever player, so I enjoyed playing with him. But as a manager, no. So, because I saw an interview with him recently in um, 442 where he, it was with one question, he sidestepped it quite quickly, but he basically suggested that he didn't really have much of a say at Barnet and that it was John still pulling the strings still or whatever else. You know, for your experience being in it, was he very much the man in charge? And, and what was it about him that didn't work for you? And maybe by the looks of things, a lot of the team given his record there. Yeah, I, I mean... I know from my experiences now as a as a manager, there is a million things that people don't know about, you know, and, and there's things that have to be kept in-house and, and I, I, I can't talk about, obviously. And I don't know what was said behind the scenes amongst Tony and John and, and the chairman and, and away from the pitch, but Tony used to pick the team and Tony used to take training and, and used to join in training. I think we had Steve Wicks there as well. So it's very much them two on a daily basis, but what went on behind the scenes, I, I ain't too sure. But you know, I I think, and I know from my experience now as a as a manager, if you players are always looking to cut corners, players always, you know, they can look through you and see through you. If you're talking. And don't get. I'm not saying this about Tony Cotty. Don't don't mix my words up. But if you if you're if you need a pushover, or maybe what you say ain't got no substance, or what you say players think, oh, he don't know what he's on about. Like very 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 quickly, you can lose players very quickly. So you have to be careful how you speak to them. You have to be careful how you do your one v one meetings and what have you. And I think that is a, from what I'm learning now, it's, thankfully I see it as a, as a strength of mine and, and something that I enjoy doing, having, having in, uh, meetings with players and letting them be open and chat, but it ain't, it ain't for everyone that, and I, and I just, and I look back at it now and I just think Tony weren't particularly comfortable addressing the change room and addressing players and, people people sort of answering back or, or having opinion let's say um and i had it again when i moved to wickham when when i left barnet and i had it with tony adams he's another one big big arsenal man big captain and that get him in a get him in a change room and he's a manager and you start saying yeah but then you start having a little ding dong with him it, it's a different situation that you're not used to and some people 
find that tough. And I can, I probably look back now and think that Tony maybe just thought this ain't quite for me. I, th- I think, <clears throat> I think when you, um, I'm not, I don't know enough about Tony Adams or Tony Cotty to make statements, but I think there has been a general perception um, sometimes that you can drop out of top flight football and that the lower leagues, it's not, you know, it's not quite the same. Um, and it's not a, and you can just drop it in, it will be easy. And I think we've seen not only players try and manage lower, uh, lower league uh, and struggle, but also players drop down and think it's going to be a bit easier than it is. You, couldn't, you wouldn't say that about Tony Cotty. I think he was a great player for Barnet in that short period of time. Um, but unfortunately, where he kind of came in, I think we lost Marlon King the summer before, Ken Charlery and, and Scott McLeish all in the space of probably about nine months or so. And when Tony Cossey left as a player as well, we're now left without probably a, a real recognised uh, striker maybe at the club or, or, or certainly the strength we had up front the year before, which I don't think helped us as we went sort of towards the end of that season. Well, there's a common theme building here, isn't there? Because, you know, whenever you look at any team that has got a, a, at least one or two number nines that are going to get you goals, everyone about the club's confident. Yeah. And... See, you're jogging my memory, and, I, and we're losing Marlon, Scott, and Ken Charlery, and then still expected to get promoted. I mean, how on earth do you expect to get promoted when you you haven't got a, a centre forward? Yeah. You know, and and this has been this has been my argument, you know, since I've been in charge about about getting getting that number nine that not only the fans and myself but the players look at and go. We get him a chance; he'll take it. And you, and, and the club, and the club knows from its previous success, it's always had one or two. So John Akindi, Charlery, you know McLeish. There's no coincidence that when the teams had good seasons, it's because they've had good forwards. Yeah, obviously the other promotion with Gratz as well, thirty uh, odd goals. And, well, and so Gratz, of course. You know, I, I, I shouldn't forget him. I only spoke to him the other day, but yeah, Gratz, another one, just. People that you can go, he's going to get you 15-plus guaranteed. I ain't yeah. even on about playing well. I, I ain't. You ain't got to play well. If you're going to get 15-plus goals, that's enough. If you play well, that's a bonus. Well, Gratz is an example. He said it himself. He, he said 89 minutes he'd be on the pitch and do nothing, but he, he would back himself if the ball came to him within the six-yard box. He'd, he'd, he'd knock it in. So, you don't have to, like you say, you don't have to play well. You just need to stick the ball in the back of the net, and that's your job done, isn't it? He, he did that say is, that. I think you're brave quoting him, but he did he, say that. He said it. I'm just. I am literally just <laughs> quoting what he said. Yes, it's not a problem. No, but that is that is his job. Like like my job was to get as many crosses in as I can. Now I might have had good games and bad games, but ultimately, if I'm getting in sort of ten, twelve crosses a game, your argument would be I ain't had that bad a game, unless I've put all twelve behind the bar. Then, then I've played shit and I should have been subbed. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen very often. There's plenty of ringers later on at Underhill and uh, watching Mark definitely think of there, but uh, I don't think that one applies to you, Darren. Um, so kind of going back to, to that particularly, obviously Cotty's first game was Blackpool at home uh, where it all looked like things were going to be very rosy. Barnett's biggest ever league win. Uh, you got a couple of goals yourself. Uh, and obviously there's quite a lot of hype. I've got that trick. Yeah, I, I thought you got a hat trick as well. My brother's got the sign ball at home. 
<laughs> he got two, I think. You got three, wasn't it? Is that right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, well, no, it, might, it might have been my only hat trick in my career. Don't take that away from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that definitely wasn't intended. Um, obviously, but that game was like another one we're going to talk about in a bit uh, later in the season. That was quite hyped up beforehand. I remember um, a few of our mates were on Soccer AM in the morning. Like Barn, it was a bit of a focus all of a sudden because you've got this big appointment. And then we had the 7-0 victory and it was all like, you know, back page, not maybe the back page, but amongst the sports pages, the newspapers the next day. Um, like, what are your memories of that day? Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember it. I remember, obviously, the, the goals that I, I scored. I remember Tony playing. And and now when I when I think back about it and when you think about the forwards that we'd lost and then now we've got someone who's going to get us goals, there's a, there's a real belief that we're going to go on again. So, you know, it was, a, it was my best scoreline in my career. And, and and obviously, you know, I, I, I didn't get, I, I probably didn't get the amount of goals I should have done with 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 the opportunities I maybe had. But you know, it was I was more about assists, as you know. But it was it was nice on that day to to get the hat trick and and uh, and obviously remind you that I got a hat trick and got the ball <laughs> and got it signed and took it home. <laughs> well, let, let, let edit out a bit out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. Um, but yeah, obviously, so that, that was a great result. The weekend after, I remember standing on the North Terrace in the pissing rain. It was horrendous to watch us play Hampton and Richmond in the FA Cup and we squeezed through 2-1 and that maybe was a bit of an omen for what was to lie ahead for the rest of the season. Because again, I was looking it up earlier beforehand. We only won five more league games after that. Bear in mind, the Blackpool game was November the 11th. Um, and obviously, so the decline was slow, but very real. Um, but we'd started quite well. And so we were never really in and amongst the, the relegation places anyway. Um, among the players, was relegation talked about? Well, obviously, towards the end it would have been. But at what point did maybe people turn around and say, hang on, we're, we're in a bit of trouble here? So it's the flip side to what I was talking about earlier when we were, we, we felt confident we'd turn up and, and, you know, we'd get a result. And like I said to you about the boys this season, after the Woking game, you can just sense it and it, and it works both ways. You know, you, you just get a feeling that where's our next result coming from? We, like, we, no matter what we do, we can't seem to win a game. And when you get yourself in that type of situation, it's, it's really, really tough to dig yourself out of it. And without completely remembering the sort of average starting 11, there was probably, when I think even just with me and Sam, like not young but, and not inexperienced, but probably never not had enough football to know how to turn a situation round and like I say without remembering the rest of the team who, who, who played that day we just got ourselves in a, in a in a rut that we couldn't climb out of right. I think probably probably sort of weirdly links quite nicely into the uh, the return fixture away at Blackpool which was the penultimate game of the season uh, after which we went down or we went sorry hit the, the bottom spot for the first time that season actually it was right it was right at the end um, I'll bore you with the details of my recollection of that because I remember I was on the uh, supporters coach for that. We went away. Um, it's meant to be sunny Blackpool, day by the, by, by the beach. Um, I'm pretty sure they'd left an hour and a half after the game to go and have a couple of drinks by the seaside in the sun to celebrate the fact we were going to be staying up. 
And my, I remember getting onto getting to the ground early. There was a, even their stewards were Preston fans. They hated Blackpool. It all felt like everything was going our way. Mm. Um, they've got a samba band playing down on the pitch. Everyone's singing Danny Brown's song. It all feels good. We go one nil up, um, and it for a moment I, I can even remember it, it was pandemonium in, 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 the, in the away end. Uh, many of, the, of us there were. Um, I remember someone coming up to a steward after we scored that goal, thinking he'd broken his leg in a setup. It was all got it all gone a bit mental, um, and we felt like it happened. It was, it was all going to happen. Well, I think we ended up three two. We lost three two in the end, and suddenly that sort of day by the seaside had um, not lived up to expectations. Yeah. The sun wasn't even out. It was uh, it should have had everything and ended up not quite. And I, for me, I, I remember that quite vividly as as a fan. I don't even know would would, would that game and just have been like a number of games for, for maybe you at that time that just, just, just wasn't our day? Or? Again, it was probably the, the form we was in meant going one nil up probably didn't give us the confidence and didn't give us the lift that we needed to go on and see the game out. You know, and, and, and you see it at all levels with, with all clubs that are in them situation. They have spells where they're good. They have games where they go in front. But for whatever reason, whether it's confident, it tends to be confidence. Can't just, you, the teams can't hold on to it. And we, and we obviously couldn't hold on to it. And then, and then it led into the, to the sort of nail-biting last game. Yeah, I mean, it did, it did sort of culminate in that Torquay game, which I, I remember because from my perspective, it was, I had just started coming to Barnet. So my, First game actually was the uh, Cheltenham game that had happened a, a month previously, and you you spoke about sort of being able to see a game out. Uh, we actually went two one up in the 89th minute, and we ended up drawing two two. I think it was uh, Grant McCann scored a free kick at the other end. Have I got that name right, Ian? Grant McCann. Yeah, that's yeah, Grant. Yeah. Um, the Torquay game, obviously, there was a big sort of media frenzy about it all because uh, it was the only two teams in the country that could possibly go down from the football league. Obviously, that had happened uh, a few years before when Hereford played Brighton. Um, so it wasn't just the whole of Barnet that was encapsulated by it. It was the whole of the country. Everyone seemed to be focused on this game. I remember Chris Kamara being up on the North Terrace with a, on scaffolding reporting from the game. Um, yeah. How much of that sort of frenzy did you as players feel in the lead up to that game and on the day itself? You try to... And again, I use the other end of the scale as well, where you're going into a playoffs or a promotion game or whatever. You, you try to make the game as normal as you can in your head and in your preparation. But then you turn up at the game and the realisation of this is a massive game for promotion or, or, or in that case, obviously, winner stayed up. And as much as we tried to prepare like it was just another game, as soon as you pulled up at Underhill and there was like fans literally everywhere. Absolute. Because what was the pub just at the top of the ground? The Red Lion. Yeah, so, so that was packed out and then you park your car, you walk around, there's, there's people everywhere and wishing you the best of luck and whatever. And then you come out for the warm-up, there's people up the telephone pylons and climbing up trees and on the back of the stand and you're thinking, bloody hell, this game is bigger than you could even imagine. Um, so it was only like, you know, you just try and be calm leading into it, but it's one, it, it's once you get there and the, the, 
you get closer to the kickoff, you start to realise obviously the importance of the game, and that and that doesn't mean that I didn't realise or the players didn't realise that the game was important. But in your head, you're trying to just be calm about it and focused. But then you turn up and and the, and the place was was jumping and and it was packed out, and you you realise how big the game was for the club. Yeah, no, I remember it, it was quite a surreal experience, really. I remember getting there at like half 12 to queue up. I think my dad got there an hour later and he had no chance of getting in. Um, the whole thing just felt really weird. Um, and obviously the match itself, it, it, the, the way the first half played out was quite, it was bizarre to watch because obviously it was this kind of cup final situation, which are normally tense nervy games and Torquay for whatever reason you know came out the traps really quickly and we had the injury to Harrison early on and you know it was their day and it wasn't ours basically um and you know we don't want to make you drag it up too much but obviously we've got to come to the penalty uh late in the first half you know I remember my personal point of view I was on the North Terrace wearing my literally full barnet kit short socks a lot um, which probably, well, I was 12, probably a bit too old for that by that point, but I was that kind of kid. Um, and I remember I was going to the to the burger bar to get a drink or something at half time, the, the penalty was blown, blown for. And uh, I remember seeing myself, such was the profile of the game, it was on the BBC News the sport bit. They showed that penalty and you could see me running back in my full kit behind the goal and then oh. like hitting hands directly behind the net. <laughs> Um, I don't know where you two boys were for the penalty of you or you know your memories that day. I was I was directly probably behind you. I um yeah I was I was sort of uh, squeezed into the north terrace. It was, it was yeah you were talking about anyone that turned up sort of beyond one o'clock had no chance of getting in, and like the warm the warm up the ground was completely full to capacity. But yeah I was I was I was directly behind the goal for the north on the north terrace at that point. Um, Craig, where were you? I was in the northwest, which was notorious for being a fairly miserable place at the best of times. So relegation didn't do much to cheer it up. But um, I, the other, what, what I would say about that game was that it just didn't feel like our day from for whatever reason, from start to finish. I don't, I don't know. Maybe from your perspective, Darren, it felt different um, when you're on the pitch. But my recollection is that I didn't feel like players got particularly singled out. I imagine you might have felt different in your situation, but it felt more like we we had a squad of players that. I think everyone would say we're probably too good to go down or should have been too good to go down. But lots of things just didn't happen for us in that in that run down to the end. And then that day, they go three ahead pretty quick and it all feels a little bit over. But um, I don't know. Did, did it feel like you were singled out or players were singled out at that time? What do you mean by singled out? Uh, to be responsible for, for that for that day, for it, that it didn't go our way. For relegation, or did it feel like just a general disappointment for everyone at the time? Oh no! We, let's, listen, you have to be singled out. What 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 do you expect? I mean, you know, I, I've I've missed the penalty, and you know, I've got to, I've got to live with that. And it was a massive, probably, you know, although the game was to stay up, it was probably as big a game as I'd played in in my career at, at, to that point, and. And and that, my recollection of it was I'd I think I'd scored and you guys might be able to remind me of this I think I'd scored two or three penalties in the last sort of few games running into the end of the season I, I'm sure I remember taking a couple of penalties and I was mindful of 
Um, and I may be wrong with this, but I, w- I was mindful of my last penalty going the opposite side. So, which is why I put it the other side. Um, but, but obviously missed. So, you know, listen, it's, I would, I would always back myself to, to score a penalty. I trust myself being a, it's a set piece at the end of the day. And I was a set piece taker. So, and I, and I do back myself, but I, I missed it and it was a poor penalty. Um, and it would have give us, if it was two nil down at the time, wasn't yeah, we? Yeah. So it would give us, it would have give us a little lift and a little lifeline. Um, but like previous games, like you say, you know, being one up and being two one in front in the 89th minute, would it have would it have give us the lift that we needed? We'll never know. But in terms of being singled out from the season we'd had before, and then you know that obviously, I think when Tony Cotty came in, we might have been seventh. Am I right? In yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we came when he when he came in, we were seventh. So to for it to all come down to that at the end of the season, since you get relegated, you've got to be criticised. It's, it's part of the game. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, you know, the way you you were immediately, if you like, remembered by Barnet fans after that, certainly like, that's a footnote in the season, you know, you'll know yourself from your interactions with supporters, now you're back at the club, like, your your playing days are very fondly remembered. It was a, it was a real shame that that was how it, how it had to end, but, uh, you know, you're in the Division Three team of the year still that season. Like your performances were were strong throughout. It was just unfortunate you had to be the bloke to take that that spot kicker and, and be in that scenario. Yeah, um, but do you know what? It was my job. It was my responsibility, and I was ha- I was happy enough to stand up and, and take it. And and I missed and it and it and it it was crucial on the day. Did it get us relegated? You can say yeah on the day, but. You, you get promoted and relegated, as you know, over a course of a season. We wasn't good enough over the course of the season. Yeah, but no. on that day, I, I hands up, I've got to live with it. I've got to take responsibility, of course I have. Yeah, yeah. And obviously that signalled the end of your Barnet career. I mean, I think there was very few people probably leaving the ground that day who thought we'd see you in a Barnet shirt again, given you, you know, you're in, individually you were doing fantastically well, even when the team wasn't. Um, and, you know, it, it was... To be honest, the fact we had you for three seasons, given your form at the time, was a surprise in itself. So it was no shock when uh, the move came about. And it was kind of a good deal for everyone, the Wickham move. Obviously, you, I think you went up two leagues. Well, from us going to the conference, they were in league yeah, one yeah. two, as it was then. And it was, you know, good money in the context of that level of football. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose from your, your point of view, being relegated to the conference and being, you know, kind of a key player in the team, you might well have expected the move, but was there disappointment from your side at the time that that was, and be honest, you know, is it disappointment that you left Barnet on those terms or was it that it's a great opportunity and, and you know, we won't mind if that's the case that you were thinking, well, this is great. No, it, it's a bit of both, isn't it? You know, I, I, would, it, would I feel any different if I'd have scored the penalty and we'd still got relegated? No, not really, because it, it would have, Counting for nothing, there, there was there was whispers that I, I was going to move in the summer anyway because I had been doing okay, um, and I had aspirations to to get as high as I could, like like all players should have. Um, and if you think about, like you say, and and I appreciate your words that you know it's it's really it's a massive blotch, but it's the only real blotch on my my time as a player at the club. I'm, I'm obviously I would have liked to have got promoted and and 
been more successful in the playoffs and what have you. But I had some brilliant memories and I absolutely loved playing for that club because it was the real start. Although I enjoyed Shrewsbury and, and I enjoyed playing for every club I played for because I love football. But, you know, I, I do look back at Barnet being the place where I really started to make my own name because, like I say, and I'm going off track a little bit here, but I was always Tony's nephew for the early part of my career. And it was my time at Barnet that m- made everyone talk about me rather than about Darren rather than Tony's nephew. I was watching so, back some of the goals on YouTube the other day just to link to that point um, from, I think, the York game the season before, the one we were on about, where we won 6-3. I think you set up three and scored one, we won 6-3. And the commentator says, oh, the nephew of Tony Curry, he's starting to make his own name. So I think, you, you know, it was, it was recognised in the game that yeah, you, were, you weren't just related to someone who'd done it previously. You know, you were your own player at this point. No, and, and, and I and I always fondly look back as uh, Barnet being the club and the team that where I really started to start making my own name or start creating my own profile and fulfilling my potential. And you know, I didn't if I could change if I could change how I left the club under them circumstances, I'd change it in a heartbeat. Of course, I would because you know I didn't want to leave under those circumstances. But there was probably a, a good chance whatever the outcome of that day that I, it would have been my last game because there was there was talk about possibilities of me leaving yeah even though it was sort of early in the time I was going I I, I definitely remember a recognition and a sort of acceptance that you know for you to be you know you had that aspiration to play at a high level and I think everyone recognized that you could and should play at a high level so I don't think anyone around the club really begrudged that move and the fact that you were spoken of so fondly as a player beyond that point sort of proves proves that point from a Barnet fan's perspective. You know, no one really speaks ill of you as far as I'm aware. So um yeah, from that perspective it's all it's all um it's all worthwhile, isn't it? And I think to follow on to that, I mean I think any Barnet fan who saw who saw you play for us, we were all really chuffed to see where your career went next. Obviously you went on to Wickham and did, did well there, but it wasn't uh, an immediate move up the leagues. But then, you know, within a couple of seasons, you were playing in the championship, and obviously that's on Sky a lot. And I, I you know, from a, it sounds, uh, it's quite a cheesy thing to say. I can't forget. I think I felt sort of proud almost that you know, from the team that I was watching <laughs> as a kid, uh, you know, it would be like, oh yeah, Darren Curry, yeah, yeah you know, he, he played for Barnet. Um, it, it was great to see like your, your progression in your career, and obviously you weren't a youngster as it were by the time you'd gone up. To the, to the championship, um, but then you, yeah, you played at that level for a few years. Craig, I know we were. No, I was I was twenty I was twenty nine, and it took me bloody ten years. I mean, I, I when I when I went out on loan and my, when I first signed for Shrewsbury, I think I was nineteen at the time, maybe twenty. So it took me best part of ten years to sort of get to a level that I always believed I could play at. But you know, you got to prove yourself. So it was a long journey, but you know, I I got to that level in the end and I appreciate that, that you guys and the Barnet fans are, have fond memories of my playing days and it's why you know I, I've always wanted to manage the club and I've and, and now I'm back it's why I want to be successful for the club to, to almost you know like pay you back a little bit because I owe you for taking a shit penalty on an important <laughs> you know what I mean I, yeah, I don't know whether people see it that, that way. They probably don't. I think. Oh, no, but I see it like that. And, 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 
that's how, that's how I see it. I mean, listen, I, I, I want to be successful for the club because I've got because I've had I've I've got a nice history with the club. I guess just very quickly, it's not a, a Barnet related thing, but I, I did see you play for Ipswich uh, in a pre-season friendly um, against Rangers of all people, actually. And yeah. uh, I think I think you were wearing the number ten shirt at that point, actually. And I just yeah. it, it was to follow on from what Ian said. You, you controlled that game, or I felt you controlled that game um, against what were at that time I'm a strong team in Scotland uh, at Championship level, and it was. You, it was interesting to see how your game had developed, but um, you were a different player to the one that you were at Barnet. But I think you've probably said before you weren't always the quickest, and you managed to make that work in your game. And you, you uh, yeah, I, I think it was um, you, you were not just a player in the championship, but one of the better players in the championship at that point. I think, which was yeah, from, as a Barnet fan, exciting to see. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and just obviously, you know, say you did really well in your career, Ipswich, Derby, clubs at a really high level. Um, towards the end, when you came back down to League Two, playing for the likes of Chesterfield and Dagenham, was there ever a sniff of returning to Barnet? Because a few times there'd be the odd internet rumour and whatever else, and I think lots of us were in hope that it would happen. Obviously, it never materialised. Was there ever any any likelihood of that on the cards, or was it just pure? No, do you know what? I never heard. I never heard one thing about coming back. In all fairness. Not, not one, not even a murmur that there was any interest or would I be interested? I didn't hear one thing about it, to be honest. Um, so, you know, I, I, who would have been in charge? So when I, who would have been in charge maybe? When yeah, I, was, I suppose when you joined Chesterfield, it might have been Fairclough, then Ian Hendon after that when you were at Dagenham maybe? Yeah, possibly, possibly. Uh, Hendo. Although we're mates, he, he, if, I wouldn't have signed for him because he used to kick lumps out of me, so I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have signed for him. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have signed. <laughs> he was one of my hardest opponents to play against, by the way. He was a horrible sod to play against. Yeah, I mean, we, we loved it watching it from the Barnet point of view when he was at right back for us, but I can imagine, yeah, a left winger coming oh, up against that wasn't much fun. He's definitely the sort of guy you want on your side, isn't he? Uh, do you know, like I can, I can deal with being kicked, but when someone's actually snarling and bloody growling at the same time, <laughs> I've got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and obviously, you know, you're back at Barnet now. But prior to that, you know, your relationship with the club, you know, you said you had fond memories. I think we remember you won't, but we do because we like bothering players that we like. Uh, a few years ago. <laughs> Right near the back end of the time at Underhill, you were at a game and you're in the main stand. And I think we grabbed you at half time, but we got a picture of you or something like that to say. And we probably said what we've said tonight that thank you so much for all you did, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the fact you were there, I think that was probably right near the end. You might have been playing for Broadham Wood then or maybe going into the coaching side of things. Um, but, you know, did, did, you said there was the aspiration to manage Barnet. Is that why you kind of, you still maybe came to do a game or sort of checked in with the results and that? Yeah, I I just looked at you know being being realistic with with where a my coaching path could start and where my management path could start. You know, I I knew I'd have to do the groundwork through an, an academy and you know potentially someone's assistant, and then you know I, I looked at it and thought you know. Barnet started off my playing days. Why not Barnet start off my management days as well? Um, and obviously, 
through through what I enjoyed so much as a player, obviously at Underhill. I'm now looking at at the facilities and everything at the Hive from a from a manager's point of view and thinking, well, that's a good place to work, isn't it? You know what I mean? So it was always somewhere that I thought would be a great way for me to start with a club that there'll be pressure with it because of my playing days. There'll be pressure with it because of the expectations. So it will give me everything I need at the start of a, a of hopefully a, a managerial career that goes on for, for 20 years or 15, 20 years. So it was definitely somewhere and, and I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted to have been given the chance and, and be the manager of the club. And, I, and I've loved it all barring one or two games, same as my playing days, all barring one or two games. I've, I've loved every minute of it. Yeah. I mean, look, to be totally transparent with you, the three of us, Huge Barnet fans, as I'm sure you can gather, hopefully from our, the, you know, the knowledge maybe we've shared in our questions and that. Um, the three of us probably don't go half as much as we, not even half as much, we, we don't go as much these days since it moved to the Hive. Um, and, I, you know, I think from our point of view, we feel that something has changed, that obviously life happens and, you know, we've, we've got other things going on. From your perspective as, as a Barnet man of both eras, how... How different is the club now to what it was then? Um, and, you know, like I say, you, you've said about trying to get that community feeling back. Where are the differences, do you think? I mean, that, that's the obvious. That's the obvious one for me. This this is not the club that I played for. Um, and and that's, you know, times have changed and times have moved on and, and, and the Hive is a wonderful place to to turn up every day with the facilities and the training pitches and and etc but you know I think I've read I'm reading a couple of books at the minute and I've, I've certainly read books from Bobby Robson and he talks about it being you know just obvious comments about it being bricks and water and whatever it's just it's about the heart of the club and listen I'll be straight with you boys it it, it it was a bigger heart when we was at Underhill because there was more togetherness. Even after, you know, defeat and, you know, there was there, there was a togetherness about us. Whereas now it, it does feel just too easy for the whole world to come crashing down if we don't win or we don't perform well or, or both even, you know. Um, and that makes, it, that makes it difficult in, in many ways. But it also... Listen, it's what I've been trying to, you know, if you've seen my interviews, I've been trying to drive it from day one about getting everyone together. We're not going to win every game and, and, and we ain't going to play brilliant every game. We're going to try to, but... And I, when I look back at how I felt our relationship from player to supporter was, and then I see the current player-supporter relationship it upsets me because you guys helped me. You know what I mean? You helped me be that confident player that could express himself. And we've got players like your Ephraim Mason Clark, who's going to go to the top. I have no doubt in my mind. He's a brilliant player. I love him to bits. And Josh Walker is going to go on in the game. These young boys, I want them to feel what I used to feel. And then they'll definitely go on. So, First and foremost, that togetherness and that heartbeat of any club, but certainly our club, it needs to grow. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult, in my opinion, to, to ever find success. 
I mean, do you uh, agree? Yeah. disagree? I mean, how no, do you I, feel about that? No, no, I think all those things are, are right. I think the times is as fair. Well, let's put it this way. We all met each other when Martin Allen was the manager. And Martin Allen is one of those kind of specialists at bringing people together, or certainly from the times we've seen him at Barnet. He has a way of linking linking the the whole thing together into one common belief and one and, and one one side rather than maybe the sort of the, the going back and forth between you know the performances on the pitch versus the, the fans being disgruntled and whatever. Um, yeah. So listening to what you've said, not just today but in, in some of your interviews as well, can't help but feel that um, well certainly you're setting about it in a similar sort of way actually, but in the in the right way for there to be that togetherness again. Um, for I think from our perspective, I mean, it's not one to to get too embroiled into today, I think the ground and, and the, the kind of identity that, that used to come with Underhill, we may, may not feel quite the same way about the hive, is, is part of the problem as well. I think. Uh, listen, Craig, don't get me wrong. I totally, I, I totally understand the history behind everything, uh, I, I, and I and I and I respect fans have their opinion and their reasons behind what they, why they do what they do, and whatever. But I just won't stop <clears throat> every day I'm in charge of this club trying to bring us all together because I, ju I just know we'll be better for it. It's as simple as that. Now, will I be successful in getting everyone back? I mean, I can't, I can't help but think like when I, and whether you choose to talk about it or not, I don't know, but you know, obviously the Sheffield United game, but the Brentford game, when I walked out there and there's six and a half thousand there and there's, flags and bloody smoke bombs and the place was erupting. I don't expect that every week because there's some realistic expectations, but some something like that would, if you're a player and you're walking out to that every other weekend, you can't, you're going to get airs on the back of your neck. You're going to, you're going to perform, even if it's 1% better, you're going to perform better yeah. because of that atmosphere. And the potential is clearly there in terms of the support base. I think, you know, for people like us who don't go so often now where because of where it is or whatever reason, it's definitely there. The question I'd ask, and it's quite a difficult question, but how does it feel for, for someone who saw, you know, who was part of one of the most successful eras in terms of the Football League time, you know, finishing sixth in Division Three in front of average gates, maybe two and a half thousand underhill. When we've had crowds this season of seven, eight hundred, it, how, you know, for you in your position when, and you know, and it's clear from the outside, you are doing all you can, like you're saying, you know, your engagement with fans, the fact you're here with us tonight. Um, you know, I know you've done a few other things like this. You're, you're very responsive and you want to get the fans on side. When you step out and see that, wh I, what's the next step for you there? Because I imagine that's quite a difficult thing to kind of overcome. Yeah. I mean, I, like I say, the run we'd been on, so I think we'd lost maybe one in seventeen or eighteen. I think that the form we was in, and then and then we'd had, um, and Macca would come in and give everyone a lift, and we got a couple of, couple of wins, and then we won at Woking. I actually think, and you could sense the fans were starting to get behind it as well, and 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 it's just bloody sod's law in it. But you know, if we hadn't gone into, if we hadn't gone into lockdown the gates might have just crept back up because the fans were starting to believe as well. Um, but it's, it's, it's a relationship where we both need each other. You know, the, the players need to bounce off of you guys and you need to be seeing, 
performances and results that want to bring you back every week. So it, it, it's a it's a relationship of both to to turn this round. And I do think because we're a big club at this level and the expectation is is high, which is right. I agree with that. You know, eventually, I just hope I'm the person that just turns the tide a little bit. And then I'll always look back and go, God, that was a bloody hard, long journey. But we got there in the end because there might be two and a half, three thousand in the hive and we're playing in League Two and we're playing some nice stuff and, and we're looking that way rather than that way all the time. But it's, a, listen, it's not, it's not. And I look at the history of managers at the club. I think, I think there's been, you might, you'll probably be able to correct me again. I think I might be the 23rd or fourth manager in the last 10 years. Sounds about right, yeah. We didn't used to be like that, and it, it, it certainly changed, yeah, in the last decade. And, and listen, and, and, and I, I know there's, there's been reasons behind that as well, and I know there's it ain't always the club's fault. I, I understand what's gone on, but that's just absurd, isn't it, you know, to have to have that type of turnaround when you've got, so you just accumulate players then. When, when we first come through the door and, and I was under Stilly, we had something like 38 pros at the club, you know? And I'm just, I'm looking around, there's, 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 there's just players everywhere. And it's crazy. It's crazy. But these are all the things that it, it just takes time to turn it all around. And I, I, I felt like we were starting to turn it around a little bit. But it's, it's not a, listen, I, I don't think it's a quick fix type job. The mad dog would tell you otherwise because he's the best at quick things, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think I think like what Ian was saying about I think it's clear from what you've said tonight and what we've seen of you in the last sort of well eighteen months that you've been in charge that clearly you're trying your hardest to sort of get that community back and sort of get the old sort of spirit back around the club. I only wish that I'm and I'll, I'll, I'll talk honestly about it and I think we could probably go to a lot more detail about the hive over the course of the next few weeks or whatever we could be here all night talking about it but I only wish I was able to sort of countenance my issues with what's happened with the club over the course of the last sort of three or four years there's various things that have gone on and be able to sort of throw my support back behind it again because it feels like there's something potentially very good that could happen as a result of this and and it's just um it's just a shame that I can't sort of get over my own issues with it I guess it's just it's just a hard one to to, to get over do you know what I mean yeah, and no, I understand that. And listen, and I'd I'd love to see you down there. I, I ain't gonna lie, I'd love to see you down there having a beer and enjoying watching your team play. But if you have reasons that you can't do it or whatever, that, that, what, this, I, I ain't got no comment on that. I it would I would just prefer to see you than not see you. <laughs> uh, I think it's fair to say that we uh, all of us would hope that it all works out under you as well. I think that if there's one thing that that makes it maybe more appealing than it might otherwise, it's it's having that tie back to maybe some of those good memories that you bring because uh, you, you make it, you know, make it feel a little bit like it was uh, and have, maybe tie the two, two eras back together a little bit. So, so think, well, fingers crossed that that is what happens, to be fair. Yeah, when it, when oh, it really is, sorry, sorry, mate. Go on, go for it, sorry. No, 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 I was just going to add that obviously we don't know when, when it'll all be again, so yeah, carry on. No, I just you know, I was just going to go on about some of the current players. We've got we've got a good group of players. We've got a decent, you know, a, a decent team and we're, and a decent some young ones. I mean, Jack Taylor. I mean, he's going to be he, he can be anything. 
you know. Um, and there is positives to pick out. There is. And, and I know, and it's hard because, you know, sometimes, in all fairness, when I sit with the chairman, he finds it hard to see positives in, in, in the current situation and that. But for me, and listen, it's maybe, and I ain't saying I'm right, by the way, but I'm just a positive person. I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, you know, we've got, he's a good player and he's a good player. We're, we're on this run of games and, you know, I can, I can tend to put a positive spin on, on quite pretty much everything. And, and I, I just look around it and I think if we can just get everyone together, we could become a force that's difficult to stop. That's it. it I can't, I can't look at it another way because I'd be lying to myself. That's how I look at it. So, yeah. So, thank you very much, Darren. Um, well, for, for the memories of your time on the pitch at Underhill, for what you're doing now at the club and trying to achieve going forward and for giving us your time this evening. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, so, thank you from all of us. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I'll take Robinson on. Most people would say I was mad. Lovely stuff from Curry, not a bad try, and that's a terrific goal.